Welcome to the Zen-ish Mommy Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Gershman, and while I may never reach enlightenment, you will find me here cussing and laughing along the way. This podcast is a place for all women to connect, educate themselves, and slow down because you deserve a moment to pause and press play. Hey, it's your Zen Mommy here. It seems like everything is so much more expensive these days, from your everyday Starbucks to groceries. When you start to think about your financial future, it gets a little scary. And if you've got kiddos at home like I do, and you're listening to this podcast, the Zenish Mommy podcast, you're probably thinking, when do I need to start planning for college? How can I lessen the burden on my kiddos? What do I need to do to save money? How much is college even going to cost in the next 5, 10, maybe even 15 years? Well, Never fear, mamas. I want to welcome Brad Baldridge to the show. He is a college funding specialist who has helped thousands of families plan and save for college with smart and proven strategies to save time, money, and stress. As a financial expert, blogger, and host of the Taming the High Cost of College podcast, Brad has been sharing his college planning insights with clients, subscribers, and listeners for nearly 20 years. He teaches parents the best way to save and pay for college, including how to find the right school, maximize financial aid and scholarships, avoid student loan debt, and make your own children's college dreams come true without wiping out your finances or retirement. And if that sounds like it's too good to be true, then you'll just have to tune in. Hey, Brad, welcome to the show. Great to be here. All right. So I said everything is more expensive, but realistically, like how much more expensive has it gotten over the last, you know, 10 or 20 years? There is this huge rumor out there that college is growing at double the rate of inflation and and that type of thing. I mean, there's some truth to it, but I think those growth rates are over because it's gotten so expensive that a lot of colleges aren't necessarily going to get that much more expensive. A lot of states cut their state budgets to the colleges and that raised the tuition at a lot of those places. And a lot of the private colleges are competing with the state colleges, so their prices need to be in line with other pricing. So the prices have gone up. Now what's happening is the prices still go up, but so does the aid. So a lot of private colleges say, well, our price went from 60000 to 63000 last year, but the scholarship went up from 20,000 to 23,000. So it absorbed a lot of that increase. So the net price of college isn't going up as fast as the rumors of much faster than inflation. We were just hit with a bunch of inflation. It's hard to know how that's going to flow through to the colleges because they're setting prices a year or two in advance. So we won't really see what happens around inflation for another year, probably. The whole idea that it's going to be millions of dollars in the future is not realistic because prices will go up until they can't. College is a necessary evil where it becomes you know, a requirement for most jobs. And I remember even going to culinary school. And we're talking about people that graduate culinary school and work as line cooks, making maybe $20,000 a year. And they're spending eighty dollars to $150,000 to go to culinary school. When are you ever going to actually pay that back? And that goes with a lot of careers and they spend all this money on education and then they come out of it with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt and pay it off for the rest of their lives. There's really the legitimate calculations going on now where people are saying, is college worth it? Because it's gotten so expensive. A lot of employers are saying, you know, for some of these jobs, we don't necessarily really need a college degree. In the past, they would put it on there just because they could and 
they got enough applicants. And now they're saying, well, maybe a certification will work or 10 years of experience is just as good, if not better than a college degree. They get um, all supply and demand. Right. If you think about it, you know, what degree do you get if you want to be an MRI salesman or a musician or whatever, right? So a lot of people that have learned in alternative ways look at college and say, well, there's lots of successful people that never pursued college. And on the flip side, for many, it is a great path. The whole idea of college for everybody is kind of silly. College for the people where it's a good fit, I think is more appropriate. And then we get into that gray area of, well, where is it a good fit? And that's the problem is it doesn't fit neatly into a soundbite that a politician can say. I work with a lot of families where they've kind of already decided college is where they're going, whether they're right or wrong. And then you got to figure out how to pay for it. If you're getting into some degrees that pay well, or you have a strong academic kid, the math works out pretty well. It's the kids that are going, I'm going to go to college because I don't know what else to do. That's where I often you see kids getting in trouble because they're choosing convenient colleges. Maybe they're running with the wrong crowd once they get there and they're not taking it seriously. That's the worst case scenario, right? Three years worth of loans and no degree. That's even worse than having a bunch of loans and having the degree at least. Yeah, I know my son went to University of Denver to start to be an ecology and biodiversity major. And he finally figured out after two years was like, oh, wait, I'm going to have to work like in the forestry department and I'm going to make $30,000 a year. And this is really not the best use of my time and subsequently switched to architecture over at Northeastern. And it'll be like eight years of school by the time he's all said and done, but hopefully he'll make it all worthwhile. And I think as parents, the idea of wanting our kids to go to college, there is that intrinsic value. There is life lessons in that. And, you know, there is the concern of how are we going to pay for this as a family? What burden do we want to put on our children? Or do we want to try to foster all of that burden ourselves and that's where you come in. How do we start to begin to think about planning for college and what kind of burden can we take on as parents and be the best financial planners we can be? So I call that the early stage versus late stage planning process. Late stage is a little easier to understand. You've got a high school junior or senior and you're in the thick of it, right? How do I apply to college? How do I fill out financial aid forms? Will I get aid? What do colleges really cost? That private school that lists at 65, Brad just said, people don't pay 65. So what will I actually pay? It's less. You know, a lot of colleges will brag 99% of our students get scholarships. What they don't tell you is if it's going to be a token award, 3,000 off, or a substantial award, 30 or 40 or 50,000 off. So that's part of the process, right? Is to figure out, do I qualify for substantial scholarships so that the school that was 65 goes to 35, which then makes it reasonably competitive with the state schools? Or am I the token award where 65 is going to go to 60 and therefore it's really out of reach and we probably should look elsewhere? What are colleges looking when they're awarding either big money scholarships or just the kind of, gee, we're just so happy you're here? $3,000, which you know really is right. a drop in the bucket. Now you can divide colleges into different categories. So we've got the elite colleges, Ivy League and Stanford, and University of Chicago, and, and a number of others that are the top of the heap. They have a lot of pricing power because essentially people are desperate to get in and they're willing to pay whatever it takes, or at least there's enough of those people that can pay whatever it takes. And then of course, on the other side, they're also very generous for people that can't afford it. So a lot of times those types of colleges are going to be the low cost option for low-income families because a Harvard, although they list it around 80, might give you a $70,000 scholarship if you need it. And then you have your state schools, of course, where the price is the price for many in-state residents, but they're reasonable. Most state schools, 25 to 30,000 would cover most states. There's a few states that are under 25, a few states that are a little bit more. 
a typical middle income and up family can expect to pay twenty, twenty five thousand for college. That's only tuition, right? We're not talking about no, room no, and that's board. total cost. Oh, that's total. So okay. Tuition, room and board, books, fees, beer and pizza. Got it. Okay. <laughs> the whole cost of a typical student. There's a whole bunch of schools kind of in the middle of those, right? Is it got the local state schools at a known price? We've got the generous high end schools, and then we've got a bunch of mid tier private schools that essentially are competing. And for a student that could get into the flagship state school, you can get into University of Indiana. Bloomington, the top school, and this other private school saying, well, that school is just as good as us, so we have to be cross-competitive. For those kind of kids, we're going to have to give substantial scholarships to get them to come. But if they can't get into the flagship schools, then we can give them less scholarships because some of these kids, mom and dad, are doctors and lawyers, and they don't want you going to some no-name state school, you know, Northern Indiana University or whatever. I made that up. I don't know if that exists or not. They're strong schools and there's nothing wrong with them per se. But sometimes people say, I can afford to buy the name. So I will. So I'll send my kid to Marquette and I will pay that 50 or 60,000. Now it's one thing if you're giving up the lake home in order to pay for college, or you're giving up the BMW in order to pay for college. It's another when you're crushing your retirement to pay for college. That's, I think, where the planning comes in for most families is to understand, well, what is a reasonable budget? And on the flip side, it's never going to be free for most families. So you're going to have to pay something. So finding that balance of what's reasonable, what's realistic, and how do we put it all together, I think is one of the biggest challenges most families have. And it's a little bit of a maze because there's need-based aid and merit aid and loans and so forth and so on. So there's lots of ways to make it work. Just what is the best way? When it sounds uniquely individualized, right? Based on the family, the kiddo, the skill set, where they're going, what they want to be, kind of grade that they have, what kind of student they are, what kind of financial means you have or access, those kind of things. How important are outside scholarships these days? Is National Merit and all of these outside organizations, are kids still pursuing that? Yes, I've probably helped about 250 families. I had one family, they applied to 40 some scholarships. They won seven for $39,000. I've had a number of students win that big award at a college. They happen to be the presidential scholar, which there's eight of them at this college. They interviewed 15 kids. This particular kid was one of the eight. And that was maybe a full tuition scholarship. And then I've had many, many situations where, oh, there's a scholarship where mom and dad work. So I got 3000 a year where mom and dad work, or I got something based on my Eagle Scout. And I got a $5,000 award. Is it worth it to the... go through that stuff? I mean, to find those kind of little nuggets as you go along the way? Well, it's certainly worth it if you're going to win. It's definitely not worth it if you're not. And that's the challenge. But what I see is a lot of families run out of time. You know, if you're going to do 40 scholarship applications. It's a lot of essays. <laughs> exactly. It's not something you knocked out on one Sunday afternoon. It no, was not if Sunday you're going to win. That's for sure. And mom and dad were helping. Now, hopefully they didn't write the essays, but they were making sure the forms were filled up properly and went to the right places at the right times. We're doing it with boarding schools right now. Just all of the requirements of applications and organizing it and deadlines and what essays need to go where. And these guys, it's like, whoa, it's very overwhelming just as a parent. Right. What it boils down to is for some, it's a great strategy. For others, it's not great. I have what I call the scholarship guide for busy parents on my website, which the whole goal of it is to give you some basic education, right? Because the colleges offer scholarships and then there's the outside scholarships. So scholarships mean a lot of different things to different people. So just understanding the different types of scholarships and which ones will work for you, which ones won't. You know, I tried to make it relatively short. That's a guide. It's about four videos, covers the basics of merit-based and need-based scholarships from the colleges themselves, outside scholarships, and then kind of a pecking order of, well, if you look like this, pursue these, ignore those. If you look like this, pursue these, ignore those. And understanding what the different pieces are. And then you can decide, well, is this going to be a family project to 
do those 40 scholarships? Or are we just going to do the easy ones? We're just going to take the scholarships, the colleges we're attending. Very quickly, you can figure out, does it exist and what will it take to get it done versus the forever search on Google and scholarships.com and so forth, where you can search and search and search. Now, if your kid is unique, that's the other thing, right? So if you've got a black belt in judo or you've got an Eagle Scout, well, now you've got something to look for. Whereas my kid claims they're in French club, but I never see them go. They played football, but they didn't start, but they did get in a game occasionally. So they're an average kid with not a lot to make them stand out. And there are scholarships for that kid, but there's also a million kids qualified. So now your competition is high. And is it worth your time? You're better off sending them to McDonald's and getting the now $12 or $15 an hour, whatever they have to pay to get the teenagers to show up. That might be better and use of his time. They want to see you working that shitty job. That's great. French club and you know all of the things, but we want to see you working like down and dirty grunt work because there's a lot of character building that happens along that path. And colleges will not hold work against you. What they really want to see is that you've done something. For some kids, it either has to be work or that's what they choose. That's fine. Or they're involved in the high school or they're involved in extracurriculars outside the high school. Financial aid versus student loans. What's the difference? Well, student loans is part of financial aid. So Mm -hmm. financial aid is the broad categories would be scholarships, work, and loans. So scholarships and grants of the free money, you don't have to pay it back. And that comes from the federal government and from the colleges themselves. And then work study, which is a federally funded job on campus. A lot of colleges will reserve work for students, even though they don't qualify for work study. The college will pay 12 or $15 an hour and you flip the burgers or you man the help desk at the library or you clean up the weight room. You know, lots of different things students do. And then there's the loans. So obviously the loans need to be paid back. The good news about loans is there's usually enough loans to cover the whole cost of college. The bad news is that's where we hear about these people that are deep in debt because they took out a bunch of loans to pay for college and they didn't pursue the other realms. Another interesting tidbit is a student typically can only borrow 5,500 as a freshman, 6,500 as a sophomore, 7,500 as a junior and senior. After that, mom and dad can borrow. So if you got accepted to Harvard and had to pay full price and it was $80,000, your student could borrow 5,500 as a freshman and mom and dad could borrow 75,000 more. So it's a parent plus loan through the federal government, or it's a private loan from Sally Mae or SoFi or all the different student loan companies out there. Is that still delayed in paying off till after they graduate? A lot of them can be delayed. Yes. The plus loan, the federal definitely can be delayed. The private loans, it's whatever terms and conditions you sign up to. You know, here's the interest rate. We will defer payments till graduation or we won't. Sometimes they'll give you a better interest rate if you're willing to pay interest only while they're in school. When you get to the private loans, they offer these different bells and whistles. If you set up online, payments, they'll give you a discount. If the kids have good grades, they give you a discount, whatever it might be. A lot of them, I think, are a little bit clickbait type of things. Oh, we're going to give you this fantastic deal. And then you get into the details and realize that deal isn't such a great deal, but it did get my attention. So Um, you talked about it's one thing as a parent to forego the Beamer or the Lake House versus digging into your retirement. I'm thinking about $80,000 of student loans every year on my shoulders, and that gives me a deep amount of anxiety. How do we start to eliminate that as a parent? How do we start planning? Let's just say through high school. Well, the reality is you have $80,000 you're willing to spend on college without taking loans. I would not recommend anybody borrow $80,000 a year as a parent, unless you've got some really talented kids and there's no other way or something. But in reality, a lot of these schools, if your kid was talented, it wouldn't be eighty. So that's the catch-22, right? Right, okay. The student that has to pay full price at, say, a Notre Dame is probably scholarship material at some other school, or you can go to the state school. So there's usually other options. You just need to be aware of them and figure that out. And even a lot of times, some of the elite schools, some of them, as an example, do not offer merit aid no matter what. 
they essentially say, everybody here is a rock star. We can't pick from among them, so we're not going to. Only need-based aid. So if you have a need, we'll fill it. But if you don't have a need, you can pay full price. What is the requirement of need these days? Who qualifies? At the low end, about 50 or 60,000 and under, now you qualify for the high need-based stuff like Pell Grants and that type of stuff. Between 50 and 150,000, you may qualify for some preferred loans at the state school and you might get some need-based scholarships at the private schools. All the way up to 150,000. Oh, That's yeah. shocking to and me. Then, and I've seen families earning 400,000 qualify for need-based aid when you start going to the expensive schools. The way it works is they calculate your EFC and it's What's about that? to change and they're going to call it the SAI, Student Aid Index or Expected Family Contribution. So they calculate that number and let's say a typical family earning 100000 it might be, say, 20000 So then you take the cost of the school minus that 20000 That's how much aid you're eligible for. If you apply to a $20,000 state school and your EFC is 20000 well, 20 minus 20 is zero. You're not eligible for any aid. That same situation, but you go to a $60,000 a year private school, now you're eligible for 40000 in aid. Now, whether or not that college will give your student 40000 of aid just because you need it. Again, Harvard, and there's a whole bunch that meet 100% of need all the time, no matter what. But there's a whole bunch that will gap you as well. Where they'll say, yes, we agree you need 40, but the best we can do is 30. And sometimes how well they meet your need has a little bit to do with how strong the student is and how bad they want the student. It's a bit of a challenge understanding, well, what schools will give me need-based aid, what schools will give me merit aid, and then how do we pay the balance? And the typical balance is going to be 20, 25,000 and up. But usually you can find options that are more reasonable than that. I hear you saying that, you know, when you talked originally about like private schools are competitive with public. And so really to kind of look at all of your options, like if you are a Harvard student, but you can't afford it, not to shy away from that because of the aid options or looking at private schools versus state schools because they might give you more aid, that it's a very kind of complex puzzle of interest, academics, achievement, aid, all of it that kind of comes into, but not to count anything out or just to say, okay, well, I have an average kid. He can only go to state school. Like that seems to be in the past, right? That there are so many more options and that school is a business and that it's competitive as well. Right. And in the end, it might be true that the state school is the best option, but you can't assume that going in. It's very complex and most people have limited knowledge, right? Well, they know how it worked for their brother-in-law or they've heard some rumors from upperclassmen or whatever it is that, oh, this is how it kind of worked. But how it worked for them may not be how it works for you unless your student is very similar academically, your financial picture is very similar, the colleges you're pursuing are very similar, which usually is not true. I hear a lot of people say things like, well, we're going to get a bunch of aid or we're not going to qualify for aid. And they're essentially wrong. Their sample size was too low and they compared themselves to the wrong situations. You know, and I have people come to me very late in the game saying, we applied to seven schools, five of them we were denied at, we didn't even get accepted. The two we were accepted at are crazy expensive. What do we do? It's like, well, you write a check or you get a very late application to a school that takes late applications, which generally isn't the caliber of school that we're talking about at this point. You take a gap year and try again next year. Not many good options. That's all preventable. You can figure out what colleges will cost. You know, I have a course that I'm putting out there that helps families figure it out. Or I work with families one-on-one to say, okay, here's the different types of schools. This group is going to be full price. This group is going to be reasonable. Here's your state 
state schools, your local state school is the low cost option, but these types of schools may be competitive or not. If your student is the top 10% of their high school or the top 1% of their high school or already taking college courses in high school, either, you know, they maxed out the physics and the math and they're doing college level math and physics. They've got a lot of options, but it's very complicated. And it's a different process than if you've got the kid that, well, he gets mostly A's and B's, an occasional C, probably going to be within a hundred miles of home. So we've got three or four state schools that are on the list and two privates if they work out, but they probably won't. At least we don't think so. We don't know. They're very pricey. We don't know if they'll give aid or not. And then you get into the complications around, well, the family's divorced. You've got blended families. If you have a business owner, there are ways that you can control your income and assets potentially. So now there's some planning opportunities there. Um, It seems like a very uniquely personal and extremely complicated process, right? Like I love that you say you have resources on the website and I'm like, I need Brad in my life to help me navigate this when we go through that with high school. Because like you said, you can't say, okay, well, my oldest son got this and this is the school he went to because it seems A, your financial situation changes. B, your children are completely different. As we all know, Mm -hmm. I have four. They're all totally different. They have a unique set of skills and experiences and interests and participation. And that is just as important and where they want to go. And that aid may be totally different. And so you can't base anything really from the experience in the past. It certainly wasn't like when I went to college, oh, so many years ago. Right. Uh, And so having someone help you navigate this, you know, I'm always here on this platform talking about education and empowerment, that you can empower yourself with education. And sometimes it's really just reaching out to experts and arming yourself with information so that you can be the most prepared. Otherwise, you're kind of running through a nail field blindly, not really knowing what to do. And then you come and you're like, oh my gosh, like that situation you said, we got into these two schools and we can't afford them and he didn't get into the other seven. Now, what do I do? And it's March. A few people, they just happen to stumble through it and land in the right spots and pick the right colleges or win that big scholarship and so forth. But I think the challenge is if you want to make sure you look under all the rocks and try and find all the different opportunities. And I think that's the big advantage that I have is generally I can save a lot more than I cost. So it's a pretty easy decision. When the college planning process is just as unique as your children, right? No two are the same. I want to talk about student debt and the debt forgiveness program. So Mm -hmm. Biden announced this debt forgiveness program. And I think the stat here, 44.7 million Americans currently have student debt, which is a huge amount. And the average amount of debt is like $28,000. So the student debt forgiveness program, what did it do for current borrowers, people that are holding student debt? And is this something that we can count on in the future? This is a one-time thing. What does this mean for the future of student debt, in your opinion? The plan was to forgive $10,000 or $20,000 to students. And sometimes it trickles up to parents as well that have debt for their students as kind of a, we apologize because this got out of hand and you didn't know what you didn't know. Was this a one-time apology? Well, we don't know, right? It's just that slippery slope. I'm a little frustrated. I have a sophomore and a freshman and my sophomore theoretically could get his loan forgiven for his freshman year. As part of skin in the game, I'm having both my kids take out a little bit of loans in their own name. I may pay them off in the future. I may not, but we'll see how they do in college and they take it seriously. But he could have his freshman loan forgiven while he's taking out a fresh loan for sophomore. So it seems a little ridiculous that we're forgiving stuff because it was oh so bad and then just continuing to shell it out just as fast as we always were. Just trading dollars. Right. And the current forgiveness program, lawsuits have stopped right now. You know, I think it's probably going to get killed, but I could be wrong. It's going to upset a lot of people. It is. You know, and again, it was something that it probably shouldn't have gone to to begin with. I don't know. It's a lot more politics than common sense, I guess, is my opinion. We're issuing millions of dollars of loans 
while we're saying, oh, these are bad and let's forgive them. Right. All at the same time with the same interest schedule, with the same parameters. Like medicine, if you just keep treating the symptoms, it's not going to help. You need to go to the source of the problem, like what's really causing this illness, you know, and start modifying it from there. Top three takeaways for parents that are planning for college. What are the top three things you want to tell them as they enter this journey? The first one is it's a little bit complicated. And again, a lot of people can figure it on their own if they want to. Again, you can take a course, but you need to start earlier than you realize. You can visit colleges as a sophomore and it's not too early in my opinion. Not all kids should be visiting as a sophomore, but especially the far and wide kind of kids, the go-getters that are ready for it. And parents can be figuring out if you qualify for need-based aid and merit aid anytime. Oh, really? So well in advance. Exactly. You can start figuring out the parent side. So if you think about college planning, there's the stuff the students do, like, what do I want to be when I grow up? Writing essays and applications. There's the stuff the parents do, like save and invest, figure out need-based aid and merit aid and some of the family financial stuff. And then there's the stuff you do together, like figuring out testing and figuring out visits and what schools might be in the budget and all that kind of stuff. Parents can work on the parent stuff without the student. And I would encourage you to think freshman, sophomore in high school instead of the way we used to do it, which was late junior or senior year. I've never, ever had anyone tell me I started this too early. I've had a lot of people say we started it too late. So that's the biggest one is do it now. The other takeaway is get to the level where you're doing it as how it's going to work for you personally. People love the 10 tips that they're reading in the line at the grocery store, but that's not going to get you where you need to go. You're going to have to go a little deeper than that, unfortunately. Yes, it's a little bit of work. It's either you do it well or you do it poorly and pay the price. Kind of like taxes and other things where either you've got to figure it out and become knowledgeable on the topic and do it yourself or outsource it or make up some sort of decision or just stumble through it and hope it turns out well. And I guess the last one is uh, it will work. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh my God, this just can't be done. And the reality of it is it probably can be done if you can find that right path. If you look at the fact that there's a college kids all over the place, obviously they've all figured it out. Whether they've done it well or not is a different question, but it almost always comes together in some way. Right. You know? I know. Breathe easy. It will work out. Your kids will make it to college. But Brad, you listed some incredible resources. What is your website? Where can listeners get a hold of you if they're interested in your services and those resources that you said you have listed on your website? And where are you on social? Mostly it's the website, tamingthehighcostofcollege.com. And I have a podcast by that name as well, wherever podcasts are sold, so to speak. And there's a lot of free resources. There's literally a resource button right on the webpage there and the podcast is there as well. And we've got some courses on how to do this that'll walk you through some of the process. And you can reach out to me right through the website as well. There's a phone number there if you want to give us a call or you can book something directly on the website. I am out there a little bit on social, but I'm too old for social. Brad, you're amazing. Thank you so much. Parents, we will put the links to all of those resources in the show notes. And until next time.